Welcome to Alternative Fund Insight, exploring the trends and meeting the personalities driving hedge funds and private markets. My name is Will Wainwright, and this week I am joined by Anthony Todd, co-founder and CEO of Aspect Capital, the London-based systematic specialist managing more than $10 billion, which marked its 25th anniversary last year in exceptional fashion, as CTAs made historic gains amid the macro turmoil. Before we start, a reminder to follow AFI on LinkedIn and visit alternativefundinsight.com to access our archive of industry analysis and interviews. Sign up to our free newsletter described as an essential read for anyone in hedge funds and private markets. Anthony, thank you for joining me on AFI today. It's been quite a year for systematic strategies. How do you reflect on the success of 2022 and what has driven it? Yeah, well, first of all, kind of great pleasure to be here and you know, appreciate the opportunity to, um, you know, to talk this morning. Um, I think, first of all, with you know, CTAs, it's just worthwhile just going back to the you know, underlying role of CTAs and investors' kind of portfolio and how we actually generate the, the returns. Mm. Um, so the aim of CTAs is to generate long-term performance independent of stock and bond markets. And we attempt to do that by capturing trends over the medium term, when I talk about medium term, I mean periods of two to three months or longer in a very broad range of of liquid markets spanning stock markets, bonds, commodities, credit and currencies. That's that's the the, the kind of key aim and that's how we try to achieve that goal. Now, if you actually could look look at this year, what we've actually seen is just a multitude of divergent macro trends across many asset classes and geographies. Mm. Um, so we've seen this inflationary wave that's surged across economies of you know, the world over. Um, and what's been interesting is I think the central bank reaction has been significant but not uniform. Um, so mm. if you look, by example, the Fed in the US has tightened incredibly aggressively trying to get ahead of the curve. Meanwhile, in Japan, they're still um, implementing yield curve control. Uh, they haven't actually moved interest rates. Whereas actually, if you look, for instance, at, at, at China, um, where there are significant economic pressures, more recently, they've actually been cutting interest rates. So we've seen this kind of divergent response. And it's that divergent response which has catalyzed a, a broad swathes of trends across multiple asset classes. And that's mm-hmm. what we've been able to kind of capture during the course of this year. And when was it trend following that proved most successful in 2022? It's a strategy that had been somewhat out of favour after the, after great success in the financial crisis. Um, it seemed to really come back into vogue, or was it a combination of approaches? It's it's, it's been a combination of approaches, um, you know. Actually, Will. I mean, it's, so if you actually have looked during the course of 2022, um, the most Profitable sectors for us were the bond sector, obviously being kind of shorter than fixed income markets, uh, being broadly long of energy markets. Um, we're also profitable in in currencies, particularly kind of being long of the dollar. But if you actually kind of look at the eight different sectors we trade, uh, we were actually kind of profitable in six out of those eight. Um, and in the two that where we saw losses, we saw tiny losses um, actually in the ag sector and in the in the credit sector. Um, in terms of, kind of frequencies, uh, we trade a range of, kind of different trading frequencies. Our slowest models looking for trends over a period of, say, six months or longer. Our very fastest models looking for kind of trends over a period of, say, a few days or a kind of week or longer. 
um, actually we were kind of profitable across the across every single kind of frequency, every single kind of filter that we, that we actually deploy. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so actually, in trend following, yes, we've had a you know a very kind of strong year, as you'd expect in terms of the economic kind of background. But actually, what's also been kind of notable um, is that the non-trend following models that we deploy. So, in our diversified program, we have a roughly 80% allocation to trend following models, roughly 20% allocation to non-trend following models. Um, mm-hmm. So, models such as um, carry, relative carry, cross-sectional effects and seasonality, um, those models actually provide a very valuable diversification in the months which have been more challenging for trend following. So for example, in November, when we saw a, a, saw a, a, a sharp reversal in markets, actually our non-trend following models, you know, particularly models such as seasonality um, and carry models actually could provided strongly diversifying returns. Um, so actually we've seen, we've, you know, we've seen encouraging diversifying performance across both suites of models. And that word diversification is all important at the moment because the alternatives sector in general has delivered strong diversification. It's been a terrible year for the kind of traditional stock and bond allocations. Does that improve the climate in terms of investor conversations, etc., in the next three years or so? I think um, it's I mean, it's it, it's, a, um, it's an interesting you know, in a position we're actually in at the moment because I mean I think that we've seen a, this long era of um, cheap money going back you know kind of over a decade, um, mm. and what that that's very much driven investors into either just kind of long beta strategies, so long beta strategies in equities and bonds, um, or into um, private um, market kind of strategies such as infrastructure, private equity, kind of private credit. Um, and those strategies obviously provided valuable kind of diversification, valuable performance over the course of the last 10 years. I think our concern now is what we're seeing is a complete transformation in the outlook from the markets. Um, yeah. And what we're actually kind of seeing now is investors increasingly kind of focusing not only just on diversification, but liquid sources of diversification. And that's exactly what CTAs, managed futures can actually provide. So now in terms of investor sentiment at the moment, um, certainly in terms of the pipeline of new business um, that we're seeing at the moment, it's probably the strongest pipeline we've seen for for five years. Um, But it will take time, it will take time. And we've seen this before, uh, we've seen bursts of strong performance in, in the CTA sector. So by example, um, in the tech wreck 2000-2003, or you look at the global financial crisis in 2008, two periods where CTAs, managed futures, were able to provide strongly diversifying performance. Um, the response from investors wasn't instantaneous. There was that lead time of you know one year, two years, three years before investors could actually adjust to the new market environment um, and start to implement a revised um, you know, allocation process. That's exactly what we're seeing today. So yes, the, the medium-term outlook, medium-term demand, I think is looking strong. But as I said, it's it's not an instantaneous response. Were there any surprises in 2022? It was obviously a very strong year for systematic, but did anything stand out? And was there anything that might um, make you change ap- approaches um, going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I suppose the obviously the, you know, the big surprise, the, you know, the big surprise was that um, shift um, uh, um, in you know in outlook for inflation. I mean, this really happened in 2021 rather than 2022. 
um, where for an extended period, um, investors and central bankers actually worldwide were taking the view that inflationary pressures were transitory rather than persistent. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was the big surprise you know, over the course of the last kind of 18 months or so. And it's interesting, in fact, if you look back at some of the um, trends we've actually been able to capture during the course of 2022, um, actually the seeds were, were very much concerned actually during the course of 2021. So if you look at some of the key markets, um, key drivers of our returns actually during the course of 2022, if you look at a market such as the gilt market, uh, where we've been short um, for, for much of the year, actually we started taking a short position in, in the gilt market in September 2021. Um, if you look at the natural gas market, by example, uh, where again we've understandably been long of natural gas for most of this year, uh, we actually started going long of natural gas in July 2021. The nickel market, um, um, once again, we actually kind of started going long of that market in October 2020. So I, I think the key point here is that you know everybody's kind of looking at the disruption and the transformation we've actually kind of seen in the markets in you know in 2022. But the catalyst, the, the real surprise, the real surprise shift in investor sentiment, investor outlook, and the market environment, it actually happened really midway through 2021. And what can you say about 2022 in terms of you know setting the scene for the next? one, two, three years, you know, do you think we're going to have more um, kind of volatility, this kind of turbulent market environment? That's something that um, AQR touched on yep. in uh, research that, you yep. know, they were saying that, that the climate should remain quite good for trend following. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think, you know, in terms of the outlook, I mean, we're, you know, I know I've said, I mean, our kind of focus is just very much on trying to deliver that um, those, those consistent diversifying returns, trying to actually kind of capture medium-term momentum in markets. So we're not coming at it from an economic outlook. We, you know, we're not sure. trying to actually kind of predict where markets um, might, you know, you know, might go. But I think what we can see is that um, you know, what, what we've, we're witnessing in the markets now is, is a total kind of transformation you know, in the outlook for markets. We've had a kind of 40-year period of a long-term, long-term kind of bull market in stocks, long-term kind of bull market in, you know, in bonds, driven by, um, you know, increasing kind of productivity, emergence of kind of technology, emergence of, um, of economies such such as kind of China, um, 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 you know, China, India, driving down kind of costs, driving down inflation, driving down interest rates. Suddenly, what we're actually kind of seeing now is a total kind of transformation in, you know, in that outlook. Um, so the outlook now for me is one of a high degree of kind of uncertainty. Uh, you know, I think the markets today, many market participants are looking for a actually relatively kind of benign outlook um, from here. You know, over the course of the next kind of year or two, that's entirely kind of possible. A more like a soft landing, you know, um, type, you know, type of, kind of prospect. But there's also clearly a kind of risk of a of a hard landing of a significant recession. Um, there's also a kind of risk potentially of a stagnationary environment. Um, mm. So just moderate kind of growth um, or moderate low growth, potentially low level of, kind of recession combined with um, significant levels of inflation. Now, in this type of uncertain environment, um, certainly the investors we're actually kind of talking to you know, are increasingly kind of looking for those sources of return which are independent of kind of stock and bond markets. And that's exactly what kind of CTAs can 
can actually can provide. You know, we have no bias in our approach. We're equally able to actually kind of capitalize on you know rising markets or falling markets. So I think the, the level of market disruption we're seeing at the moment, I think that may well continue. And in that kind of environment, a strategy that can actually kind of capitalize on divergent trends across multiple asset asset classes, um, I think um, can play an important role. Interesting. Okay, so let's turn to aspects approach going forward. What are your strategy and research priorities? What are your areas of innovation at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think there will, I would say, three areas we're you know we're looking at in you know in particular um, the you know three areas of uh, I think of active research for us. Um, you know, area number one is um, there's a lot of work we're actually kind of undertaking at the moment on our um, faster, more responsive you know, kind of trend-following strategies to make them even more resilient and responsive over a wide range of market conditions. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you know, I mentioned earlier how we have this kind of broad spread of actually eight different um, filters, uh, price filters, um, ranging from you know, strategies aiming to kind of capitalize on trends over a period of six months or longer, strategies at the fast end looking to exploit trends over several days and longer, here, what we're actually kind of focusing our attention on is that faster set of strategies and just trying to kind of make them, as I said, more robust, more resilient over a broader range of market conditions. That's area number one. Yeah. Um, area number two is actually just looking to extend our market coverage um, to improve further diversification of our programs. So looking at adding, for instance, markets such as um, uh, sovereign kind of credit markets, looking to actually add... Um, customized equity kind of baskets, so kind of cash equity kind of um, um, driven um, uh, customized kind of market baskets. Mm-hmm. The third area, which is more from a, I would say, from a technology side than from a research side, um, is that now you know what we've seen as we've actually built out a range of kind of different programs with, you know, within Asdet, we're actually kind of seeing more demand for customized solutions, for um, bespoke solutions to meet specific investor requirements. Um, so we've invested very heavily in what we refer to as our integration investment kind of platform, which will put us in a better position to be able to, you know, customize kind of portfolios to meet those specific demands more effectively. Yeah. And just to understand that first point, so with trend following, you know, those deep sustained price moves tend to be quite fertile, but trend followers can also be caught out by swift reversals. Yep. So is is that to make it more reactive in those types of situations? Yeah, it's well, it's an interesting kind of point, and I think you know, we characterise you know our filter set um, on, on the basis that um, our, our, our longer term kind of filters are there to very much kind of lock on to those um, medium term persistent trends in markets, exactly those kind of trends in markets we've seen over the course of the last kind of eighteen months. The mm-hmm. our faster filters. No, the role for those kind of filters is very much to provide that responsiveness in the event where we actually see sharp market kind of corrections um, or could see significant neck of setbacks in markets. So the two filter banks, the, the, if you like the slow filter bank and the fast filter bank, actually have a very, very, very kind of different roles in the kind of portfolio. I think in you know in the sector, it's it's often seen that um, that going faster is you know, is more advantageous. 
um, that seems to be a you know, strong, it's been a strong clarion call over, over the course of the last kind of five or 10 years. And there've been certain yeah. years where actually going faster has actually uh, you know, been uh, you know, more profitable. By example, in 2020, our firm conviction um, is that it's important to actually have that balance across that kind of filter set, across that kind of broad kind of filter set. Um, that's the approach we actually had when we set up the business, actually go back in 1997. Um, and that's still very much our, you know, our philosophy today. So we're not shifting our responsiveness, um, but the aim is, as I said, just to improve those kind of faster filters to actually make them uh, more resilient over a range of different market environments. Let me ask you about your China strategy. Yep. Um, what was the opportunity there, and, and how do you access it? Yeah, I mean, in, you know, in terms of in terms of, kind of China, the you know what we actually can see there is a potentially a very you know, valuable source of diversification for, you know, for investors. Um, so, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, if you actually look at the uh, economic outlook in 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 you know, in, you know, in China, um, clearly as a result of their zero COVID policy, as a result of stresses in the real estate sector, um, we've seen a significant kind of slowdown in the kind of Chinese economy, um, and Chinese authorities have very much um, responded. Um, by trying to stimulate the, the economy, by reducing interest rates, by pumping liquidity into the markets. That's a completely kind of different uh, economic environment and, and different response from the central bank uh, from what we've actually kind of seen, say, from the US kind of Federal Reserve. So that's, mm. if you like, level of, kind of diversification number one, just completely kind of different um, macroeconomic environment. Yeah. The second um, you know, kind of key diversifying um, element is that the range of markets available in China, there are a broad range of very liquid markets in, you know, in China, which are not available elsewhere. Um, um, you know, many of which are very much kind of idiosyncratic in terms of their kind of behavior, which again can provide a very valuable set of market diversification um, you know, mm -hmm. by comparison with um, um, you know, markets are actually kind of saying, say in the of Europe or in, you know, or in the US. Um, so in in terms of, kind of Chinese kind of futures markets, the markets are very much kind of dominated by the commodity sector. Um, and as I said, there's a broad range of very liquid, highly kind of diversifying kind of markets there, which are completely kind of distinct, completely idiosyncratic compared with um, markets we're actually kind of seeing in, in the US and Europe. So that's the, the, the key opportunity actually kind of for us there. Um, that what we can actually can see is the ability to actually can build a program. We have both an, a, a program actually, which is well, two programs which are available to onshore Chinese investors. Um, we have another kind of program uh, which is actually kind of, you know, kind of set up um, in order to actually kind of provide access through predominantly actually kind of through swaps. Um, mm -hmm. So we can actually access um, the markets for offshore investors as well. Um, and that, that those programs provide a very different performance stream, very different um, expected level of performance by comparison with, say, you know, the Aspect Diversified Program or the Aspect Core Program. So it sounds like a big opportunity, uh, but a case of building it up and um, you know building up interest in an area that doesn't have that kind of traditional hedge fund industry. Exactly. That, that, that's exactly how I'd, how I'd see it. I mean, I think for... Um, no, really very much for, no, for those investors probably who've already got an investment in managed futures. Um, and as I said, you know, in terms of our managed futures program, we're looking to kind of capitalize on, um, uh, you, know, on you know, on kind of trends over those eight different sectors 
over around mm -hmm. close to around 200 different markets. If investors already have an investment in a strategy such as that, an investment in a, in a, in a, in a program trading kind of Chinese markets can provide a very valuable additional leg to diversification. Okay, well, let's turn to a very important landmark for aspects. You turned 25. What does the next 25 years hold? What are the long-term opportunities? And what about your personal commitment and motivation? Yeah, I mean, let's, I mean, <laughs> let's start with the, your, your second kind of question first, Will. I mean, you know, in terms of uh, personal commitment and motivation, um, you know, I, I love my job, uh, love what I'm doing, passionate about um, you know, um, you know our approach at Aspect. I'm very lucky to be working with a very kind of strong, dynamic, um, in, you know, innovative kind of team. I think we're making very kind of strong progress with you know with our you know our strategy, with research, with kind of technology. Uh, so I'm, I'm extremely excited by the opportunities over the kind of coming years. So I'm very much kind of fully kind of committed um, mm. you know, to what we're kind of doing at Aspect, and kind of very excited about the you know, the, the medium-term prospects. In terms of what I see, I mean, it, you know, it's an interesting kind of question, interesting to reflect on this. And I think what, what's interesting for me is actually, you know, if you look back at 1997, 1998, um, and, and actually how the business has actually evolved from there, you know, back in 1990, well, 1998, we actually started um, our first program, the Aspect Diversified Program in December 1998. You know, at that point, we were single kind of product you know, kind of business. Um, it was very much a diversified, medium-term kind of trend-following uh, kind of kind of program in philosophy, very consistent with what we're running today. Mm. But if you actually look at the progress we've made over the 25 years, and uh, what we've actually shifted is where we sh how we've evolved the business. We've moved from a single product company to a multi-product company. Progress in research has now enabled us to develop over 200 distinct models. Um, progress in technology, has enabled us to drive down execution costs um, and simultaneously develop innovative, diversifying strategies in the intraday sector, um, deploying machine learning techniques, deploying uh, alternative kind of data sources. Um, so I look at the progress we've made over the course of the last kind of 25 years. Um, I think we've made strong progress as, you know, as a business, but now I look at the opportunity and actually can see in terms of the investment we actually, we've made in research and technology, um, the, the team we've actually kind of built over that kind of period, the pace of progress we're actually seeing today naturally is far faster than what we kind of saw 25 years ago. So what I can mm -hmm. see now is just incredibly exciting opportunities for, you know, for the business you know, over the coming years. Yeah, from that research and technology data perspective, it must be a totally different business now compared to 1997, just the, the scale of things. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, on the one hand, you know, it is. On you know, on the other hand, it you know, it isn't. I mean, the so in terms of the scale of the opportunity, in terms of advances in technology, advances in research, advances in you know research techniques such as the deployment of machine learning techniques, the deployment of alternative mm -hmm. data sets. So so yes, that provides a wealth of opportunity for us. But then again, I kind of come back to if you look at the aspect diversified program today. Philosophically, what we're trying to do today is capture those medium-term trends in markets over multiple timeframes over multiple markets. That's entirely consistent with the approach we actually had 25 years ago. Um, sure. So in some, in some respects, if you look under the covers in detail at the program, the program's transformed uh, in terms of the, 
um, you know, the, some sort of level of sophistication, by level of diversification of the markets for trading, the signals we're trading. Philosophically, though, um, it's actually very consistent with what we were doing 25 years ago. Okay, well, Anthony, thank you so much for joining me on AFI today, and congratulations again on reaching the big landmark of 25 years. <laughs> Will, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. I very much appreciate your time. Um, very much enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you to Anthony for an insight-packed interview. Head to alternativefundinsight.com for the write-up and why not check out AFI's podcast archive to hear my interview with CFM Chairman Jean-Philippe Bouchot. Please subscribe and leave a rating. That's it for now. Until next time on Alternative Fund Insight.